Hey, this is Israel. Here at the river, we're all about the message of the gospel of peace. That the Bible says, beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel or the good news of peace. So we have good news for you. The war is over. God is not angry at you. God is in love with you. And you can have peace and righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we hope this message is a blessing to you. You can visit us online at theriverdurant.com for more. This is a really good day for me for several reasons. Having our first play day, and I love Sundays. But uh, it's especially important to me today because my mama's here. My mama, Sybil Holler, is back there. Wave at her mama. She's trying to hide. <laughs> mama, you can't hide in this church like you did those other churches. <laughs> she <laughs> Amen. I'm glad she's here. Glad to have you here, Mama. I'll probably call on you in a few minutes. We are discussing... I forgot to ask you. Are you ready for the Word? All right. We're discussing some things starting this series last Sunday morning called For the Record. For the Record. Trying to clear up a few things that I believe the church has been in darkness on for, for lots and lots of years, maybe for thousands of years. Things that the church has believed that are just wrong. But when you investigate the scriptures, you find out how to be right. And I'm not the only guy in the world who knows how to study the Bible I'm not saying that. I'm not saying there aren't others who, who are reading it like it says it. But what happened to me about 20 or 25 years ago was I began to ask God, why, why? Why are there so many opinions? And I found that most of the time the opinions are based, the opinions of the various sects of Christianity are based on one primary idea, is that most Christians do not believe that they can really understand what the Bible is teaching. Most Christians do not really believe that they can understand what the Bible is teaching. Did you know that? They don't believe that they can. And so they tolerate all kinds of ideas, tolerate all kinds of denominationalism, all kinds. Of, well, that's the way they believe. They're still, you know, and that's the way we, but, but, but we believe this. I, I just detest that. I think the Bible detests that kind of thinking. It's not, it's not hard to understand what the message of the Bible really is. It's not hard to live. In, in the edicts of the scriptures, God did not call you to live a, a rigorous, hard life. He, he called you to live a peaceful, joyful life. Now, there may be hardships in it, but if you're at peace and you have joy, glory to God, you don't even notice the hardships. Paul said, uh, it, my, for my light affliction, his light affliction, did you read the litany of things that happened to him? He said, my light affliction is but for a moment. When you're full of joy and peace and revelation and you're right with God, nothing the devil does to you seems like it can injure you at all. Praise God. You, you just walk through it by faith. You just walk through with, with peace in your heart. I don't know. I've had lots of trouble in my life. Lots of trouble. Especially preaching the way I do. I get a lot of resistance. I have students sitting in their classrooms resisting me. And I don't care because they're having to pay for it and I'm getting paid. So it's, all, it's okay. <laughs> If they're that stupid, it's all right with me. <laughs> Their resistance isn't going to stop a thing. But it, 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 happens, it happens that way because I teach things from the Scriptures that I believe the Scriptures are really clear on, really clear on, and, and, and it flies in the face of what is commonly believed, okay? I'm just warning you ahead of time. Last week we, did, we went through five of those ideas. I've got a whole bunch more, but I hope, hope we can get through four or five of them today. And the first five, just as a reminder, we said that Jacob was not a deceiver. There's nothing in the Bible that indicates that Jacob was a deceiver at all. In fact, the one time that he did commit deception was he was forced by his mother to do it, forced by his own mother to do that. And he didn't even want to do it. He didn't try and change his voice to try to sound like his brother. His mom backed that whole thing up, and she even said, your curse be on me. Any problem that happens to you be on me. I just wish preachers would read the Bible. And see what really that story was about. All through the scriptures, Jacob is, is shown as a man of full integrity and full of faith. Not one evil thing did he ever do. 
His grandfather, on the other hand, Abraham, lied about who his wife was. Ballface lied, and it was his idea. Ballface lied about who his wife was before he was justified, then he got justified, and it happened again after he was justified. Isaac, his own daddy, lied about who his wife was. It was his idea to lie about who his wife was. His idea, his own doing, premeditated. You understand? Why are these guys not called deceivers? Because there's something inherently evil in the minds of most kings and magistrates, and it seems like theologians as well, that want to denigrate this man after whom the greatest nation on earth was named Israel. A nation that died and their language died, and they rose again from the dust. That has never happened in the history of the world. I like it. Secondly, we said that the law was never intended for Gentiles. Never intended for Gentiles. The law was to just get rid of Gentiles. It was not made for Gentiles. It was made to destroy Gentiles or cause them to convert to Judaism. Thirdly, Joshua did not let the sun go down on his wrath, which explains Ephesians chapter 4. We talked about the fact that Jesus did not pray to escape the cross. He did not have a weak moment in the Garden of Gethsemane. In fact, he knew he was dying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was doing everything he could to get to Calvary. I think that more describes the hero of the entire Bible. Nothing in the Scripture says he was trying to get out of going to the cross. He said that was devil's doctrine. He told, he told Peter when Peter said, this shall not happen to you, he looked at Peter and called him what? Satan. He's not going to then go to the garden and, and pray Satan's will. Everybody understand where we're, where we're coming from here. It's completely opposite what modern, what modern religion has taught us about Jesus praying in the garden. And finally, as of last week, finally, uh, we said that Jesus was not poor. There's no possible way he was poor. There's just no possible way he was poor. Not when we know that kings from the east came and loaded him down with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It was not a little bit of gold. It did not come 700, 800, 900 miles uh, through, uh, across the, 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 uh, the fertile crescent. They did not come all that way on camels to bring him three little coins. What an insult that would have been. These are kings. These are kings inaugurating a new king. You, you understand what we're saying? Kings don't give other kings penny ante gifts. And they brought camels, and there wasn't three of them. Mod, the modern church, again, the, 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 the backslidden church, wants the whole world, and all of their theologians want the whole world to believe that there were only three of them. There were only three of them because there were three gifts. But the truth is, his, and ancient history teaches us, and a lot of scholars have already done the work on this. They know that these kings never went in threes. They went in tens, twenties, thirties, maybe even as many as 50 of these guys got together. Are you understanding what we're saying? How much wealth was there when they came to the house where Jesus was when he was probably two, two to four years old? They brought the wealth of their nations and laid it at the feet of the king of kings. He was not broke. Now, he became poor. He did become poor at the cross. They took his clothes. They took everything he had. At the cross, he had fully emptied himself of everything he ever had. You understand? I know what you're thinking. I know you're thinking about a few verses of Scripture, one in particular. The Son of, Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Of course he didn't. He wasn't in his town. There weren't hotels and motels everywhere. The only time he said that was a guy wanted to, fi- wanted to follow him away from home. Jesus owned a home. Jesus owned a home. It's where Mary lived. And Jesus was in charge of taking care of his mother. What kind of infidel would he have been if he wouldn't take care of those of his own household? That's what the Bible describes. People who will not care for those of his own household, they're worse than infidels. They denied the faith. Is Jesus one of those? No, he had a mother that he had to take care of. And why I know this is because on the cross, he had to turn that mother's care over to John. That means Jesus was responsible for Mary's care all along. She wasn't out there traveling around the ministry with him. She was at home taking care of his house running things for him, and he's sending money back there to keep her going. Everybody understand this. Not only to her house, but to 12 other men's households he had to keep running. So much, so, so much money that they had to have a treasurer to keep up with all of it. And so much money that that treasurer had been stealing from them for three and a half years. They didn't find out about this until after the purse fell into somebody else's hand. They said, there should be more money in here. That's how they found out that Judas was a thief. Hear me. They had so much money. You don't need a treasurer for $15. (laughs) Right? You just don't need that. You need a treasurer if you've got substantial amounts of money. And they had substantial amounts of money. Jesus had substantial amounts of money to run his ministry the entire time. He never begged for money, never had to. He had plenty. 
Modern religion wants us to believe it's the will of God for Christians to be poor so that we can pour all the money into some established religion in some place called Rome. Now, let's start today's sermon. Am I, are we okay? Yeah. All right. Part two of For the Record. And this is our sixth idea. <clears throat> we had five last week. Six. Number six comes today. Paul was not poor. Common, common belief. Common belief says that Paul was broke. Poor little old Paul always having to beg for money. We know this just cannot be the truth. Paul was born in the city of Tarsus, right? He says he was born in Tarsus. Tarsus was a city that had been freed by Augustus. Augustus was the very first emperor. Augustus was the son, the adopted son, if you will. He's actually the great nephew. But uh, Julius Caesar adopted him as his own son and made him the heir apparent to the throne, if, there, if you could call it a throne, of Rome. And Augustus Caesar was the very first emperor. It's interesting to me that the very first emperor of the Roman Empire, maybe the greatest empire in history up to that time, the very first emperor was the emperor when the king of kings was born on the planet. Man was doing what they could, but the king of kings, his people eventually took over Rome. Praise God. Until there came a day in 325 A.D. that... 312 A.D., something like that, that Constantine announced Christianity was the official religion of Rome. And he had had, Constantine had had his own vision. Well, that's powerful if you ask me. That's just powerful if you ask me. Augustus was the first emperor. And uh, the apostle, he, ha he had announced that Tarsus was a free city, meaning everybody there had the privileges of being Romans. Free from taxation, they were free. Free to go about anywhere in the kingdom they wanted to, do anything they wanted to. And Paul was there. Now, the reason Paul was raised there, the reason he was there, most likely his people were part of the diaspora, meaning having been had traveled just to, to get away from Jerusalem because of persecutions or because of, of lack of money. His daddy, no doubt, was wealthy because he was raised up at the feet of Gamaliel. And everybody knows, everybody knew then in that day, that, the, that Gamaliel was the primary, I mean, was the guy. He was like, uh, uh, if you want to learn country music in Oklahoma, you need to find Garth Brooks, right? Well, he was the Garth Brooks of theology at the time. <laughs> Vince Gill would be number two probably, or Reba, maybe Reba. Yeah, there you go. There's some real money. Anyway, he, 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 uh, he, was, he was that, Gamaliel was, to the Jews concerning theology. He had the greatest, the, the single greatest name amongst theologians at the time, and it cost a lot of money to send your kid to be raised up. And at age 13, probably, Paul went to sit at Gamaliel's feet and stayed there until he was grown, very likely for 17 years, till he was 30 years old and reached the age of priesthood. Paul was probably born sometime around the same time Jesus was. He might have been a few years younger. He was called Saul then. But he was raised in opulence. He was raised in wealth. The way he traveled, just to and fro, anywhere he wanted to go. Do you know what it costs to travel? You can buy a plane ticket, right? You can buy, buy a plane ticket for a few hundred bucks and fly from here to Los Angeles and back. It costs very much, just a few hundred dollars, depending on how. You know, we, we think that, that that's what travel cost Paul if he wanted to travel 1,500 miles. But it wasn't. A 1,500-mile trip for a guy like that would, take a, would cost a year's salary, maybe two years' salary. And he'd have to stop along the way, have to eat all the way, have to stay in, in inns and hotels as much as he could along the way. And one of the things that he said, he was in peril of robbers. Remember that in, in that lousy litany of, of things that bad that happened to him? He said he was in peril of robbers. Why would robbers be, be, be robbing a beggar? Why would they be robbing a beggar? It don't make any sense. Why, why rob? Go pick on somebody who's got money. That's, that's why they were robbing Paul. He had money. Come on, somebody high-five somebody. That's good right there. That's good. Praise God. Amen. They don't break into people's houses that are on welfare to steal money. They, pick, they, they, they find the people that got money to try to rob. Nobody ever held hostage a poor man's daughter for, for ransom. 
Not unless they're just really, really stupid. <laughs> Give us all your money. $15. Paul was not poor. His ancestry as an Israelite. Listen, he had the ancestry of an Israelite, the citizenship of a Roman, the religion of Phariseeism, and the culture of Greece. He, he was Greek culturally. He was Jew, uh, he was Pharisee religiously. He was a Roman with respect to his citizenship, but he was an Israelite above all Israelites, the way, the way he talked. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 22 and verse 3. Acts chapter 22, Paul was not poor. <laughs> Acts chapter 22 and verse 3. I am indeed a Jew. Born in Tarsus of Cilicia. And you all know that area as Turkey. We know it as, in Bible times it's called Asia. A little bit later we began to call it Asia Minor. But we know it today as Turkey. <clears throat> One of the port cities. Born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, meaning Jerusalem, at the feet of Gamaliel. His parents had to pay for all that. Gamaliel didn't pay for that. His parents had to pay for all that. Taught, how many of you have any kids in college? Is it expensive? Even with the scholarship, it's expensive. Okay? Taught, if they go to Harvard, try that. This was the Harvard. This is like sending your kid to Harvard, sending Paul to Gamaliel. Taught according to the strictest, the strictness of our Father's law and was zealous toward God as you all are today. That very verse, that single verse there proves that Paul was not poor. Only the wealthiest of the wealthy got to sit at Gamaliel's feet. This we know from lots and lots of history. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24. We're going to begin reading with verse 25. I just want to read two or three verses here. I want you to see something powerful. Paul has been arrested and has appealed to Caesar, and so they're, they're, he's headed to Rome. Now, this trip didn't cost him much. As a Roman, Roman citizen, uh, when you're under arrest, Rome pays for that. <laughs> Acts chapter 24, uh, yeah, 24, verse 25. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, talking to Felix, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Verse 26. Meanwhile, he also hoped, that is, Felix also hoped, that money would be given him by Paul that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. Okay, let's just say what religion says about Paul. He's a poor little bedraggled beggar. Can you, can you imagine this guy who is just under the king, a magistrate of the entire province, fabulously wealthy. He says, go bring that beggar out of jail and try to get some money out of him. <laughs> it's just silly. It's just silly to think that Paul was poor. When this magistrate thinks he can improve his financial situation by being with Paul more often. If he can just get Paul to give him some money. I wonder how he knew he had money. He could tell by the way he was dressed, tell by the way he talked, tell by the, the places he had been to travel, being a Roman. He knew, he knew all those were marks of a wealthy, wealthy, wealthy man who from time to time lost everything. Because when you go to the pen, they take everything away from you. He was rich and poor and rich and poor and rich and poor, but most of his life he had great access to wealth all the time. There's no possible way he didn't. He just wasn't poor. So if Jesus wasn't poor and Paul wasn't poor, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just, I'm just going to tell you as your, as your leader here, it's the will of God for you not to be broke. Amen. He wants to bless you. I'm not saying it's just going to fall out of the sky. It might. It could. It could. They got, they got diamond planets now. They found one. I told you all about that, didn't I? My wife's favorite planet is a planet that's crusted with diamonds. They just found it. 
You can look it up on the internet. Diamond planet. It'll just show up. There's a planet out there. And, 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 and astronomers and these people have been looking, scientists have been looking at this thing for years. They thought it was a sun, but they knew it wasn't a sun because it had no solar system. They just, but it sparkled like a sun. It, it glowed like a sun. And finally, when that, that, that camera that they shot off out there, what's that thing called? The Hubble. Sent the Hubble out there. It got glimpses of it. It got pictures of it. And they say, it's a diamond-crusted planet. A diamond-crusted planet. Now, you all know that I teach at Christ for the Nations, right? And one of the things that Christ for the Nations is known for, well, several things. One thing is known for missions, Christ for the Nations. It's known for worship, you know. It's known for youth events that are amazing. It's also known to be a place where a young man can find a really great wife. (laughs) And young women can find a really great guy to marry. So much so that we're often called brides for the nations. And when I told about that, when I told about that great, big, solitaire diamond off out there, one of the girls sitting on the front row of my classroom the other day said, a ring for the bride of Christ. Praise God. (laughs) Amen. So, yeah, I mean, it could, but most likely he's going to bless you in what you put your hand to do. It could just fall out of the sky, but he's, most likely it's, it's gonna, he's going to bless your efforts. He's going to cause your business to prosper. He's going to cause the things that you do in faith and labor and work and, and business to prosper. If, 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 there's a big, big if here. I mean, anybody can make money in this world, but if you use your faith in everything that you do, then that's when he can prosper you the way he prospered Paul. Amen. Amen. So that's enough of that. Number seven. Number two today, but it's number seven overall. Paul was being sarcastic when he spoke of his thorn in the flesh. Just for the record, I want you to understand. When Paul spoke of his thorn in the flesh, he was being sarcastic and said he was not speaking for the Lord. Said he was speaking foolishly. He said it over and over and over throughout that entire passage. This is a shocking moment, but you've got to hear it. Because people are always asking me, well, what about Paul's thorn in the flesh? You say it's the will of God for you to prosper and be blessed and be in health. Well, what about Paul's thorn in the flesh? We're going to read it this morning. It's a little tough to take. I don't want you to throw anything until you hear me completely through, okay? Okay. Paul was being sarcastic when he spoke of his thorn in the flesh. Let's take our Bibles and turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're just going to skip through here. I want you to go back and read it yourself, but I want, you to pick, I want you to hear me when I pick out these verses of Scripture all through this entire passage. It's better just to read the whole thing, but this morning we just don't have time. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7. Is it okay if we teach the Bible to you? Amen. All right. That's my job, teach you the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7. Do you look at things outward according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him again consider this in, my, in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ's. Verse 8. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification, not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed. Okay, so what he's saying is, I'm about to start boasting. Watch what he does down in verse 12. Look at verse 12. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. He said, we're not going to do that. He said, I'm not going to compare myself to others. We dare not do that. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, what does it say about them? If they're not wise, what are they? They're fools. If they're not wise, then they're fools. Read on. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God has appointed us, a sphere of influence which, which especially includes you. Now I want you to go down to verses 17 and 18. Verse 17 says, But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Verse 18, For, for not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commands. I'm just laying some groundwork here for you to understand where he's going with this. 
He says, there are people among you who come to you who are false apostles. Later he calls them false apostles. False apostles, and they come to you, they're always comparing their ministry with somebody else's. They're always saying, well, we had these many. And you've heard it done yourself. I had, I had a guy who did a report on Haiti. I read an article he wrote. And he got to figuring up how many evangelists said 10,000 people had gotten saved in their ministry over the years. And he said, I got to noticing. And I, he, said he, he said, I put all the numbers into a computer or into a calculator and came up with, there's been more people saved on the island of Haiti than have ever lived there. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, somebody's counting them over and over and over and over and over and going to a place where they respond well to altar calls. So they can do what? Get a big newsletter so they can compare themselves to somebody else. And the only reason for that is to try to get more people to give them money. You understand this? It's what all that comparison business is about. I got lots of stories about that. <laughs> Back in the 50s when the healing evangelists were taking, were, were taking the world by storm and God was doing great and wonderful miracles well, one would advertise his ministry as having the largest, the world's largest gospel tent. A guy in Dallas, and I won't name his name, but he was one of them. He was one of the big names. In the, and he went out to where another guy who claimed he had the world's largest gospel tent and measured the thing with a tape measure, wrote it all down, and went and had a tent maker make him one that was 10 square feet bigger than that one. And then and when announced he had the world's largest gospel tent. It's kind of sad, isn't it? What are they doing? Acting like fools. When you compare yourself with others, you're being foolish. Listen to me, everyone does this in some measure. And the and the admonition to us all is be content with who you are. Be content with who you are. I didn't say don't better yourself and learn more and study more and pray more. I didn't say do that. But he said, you need to get content with what God has given you and with who you are in the Lord. Amen. Because that other guy is not your example. Jesus is your example. And if there's anybody else that's your example, the Apostle Paul is your example. Praise God. He did not mean for you to be measuring yourself against other people. You are who you are in the Lord. Praise God. Can I have a good amen? You are who you are in the Lord. He's the one that made you who you are. I'm not saying you shouldn't, you shouldn't better yourself. Just be careful about comparing yourself with other people and thinking that you're less because you didn't measure up to their standard. Amen. Amen. They used to, when I was young in the Lord, I, I used to try to help everybody that had a need. I mean, I would try to help everybody break myself almost trying to help everybody that had a need. And then the TV preachers came on, and I'd say, oh, send your money, or we'll have to go off the air. Well, I heard so much of that. Finally, one day, I heard one of them do that, and I just stood up in my chair, stood up at, at my chair in my living room, and I said, goodbye. <laughs> if you're depending on me, I'm not going to see you anymore. <laughs> goodbye. I want you to live long and prosper, but I'm done. Amen. Because if I had a loved one die, I can't call that guy to come bury him. That was pretty good preaching, but I didn't get a very big amen. <laughs> if I had a loved one die or needed a kid to get married, I couldn't call one of them to come do it. I've got to call somebody that I listen to on a regular basis. I've got to call somebody, somebody that I look at. Amen. So I want to make sure that guy's got shoes, not that guy. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Here he starts. We're still talking about Paul's sarcasm. Oh, that you would bear with me a little, me in a little folly. He said, now these guys are foolish by doing this. He said, so I just wish you'd bear with me. Let me act foolish for a little bit. Here's my folly. And indeed, do bear with me. And then he starts writing. Listen to what he says. Look, look at verse, uh, verse 16. For I am jealous for you. Oh, no, I say again, let no one think me a fool, if otherwise at least receive me as a fool, that I also may boast a little. Boasting is foolish. And he's saying he's doing it. Look at verse, uh, uh, let's just read verses 18 and 19. 
seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast. Look at verse 19. For you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are so wise. Listen to me. <laughs> Can you not hear the sarcasm in it? Look at verse 21. To our shame I say that we too, we, 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 what? that we were too weak for that, but in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I'm bold also. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's, he keeps reminding us. How many times has he talked about acting like a fool? He said, I'm, I'm speaking like fools talk. This is how the fools talk. Look at verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Now he's saying, this is how fools talk. Is all this true? Is he a Hebrew? Yeah, is he an Israelite? Oh, yeah, is he of the seed of Abraham? Yes, all of it's true, but he's saying he shouldn't have to do this. He shouldn't have to talk to it, even though it's true. It's all true. It's foolish for him to have to use this because it adds to that negative, demonic thing of comparison. But I just say it like it is. Yeah, you do. And you do it for comparison's sake, and it's ungodly. Look at verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? How's he talking? How's he talking here? Is this a word from God, or is he talking like fools talk? This is not a word from God at all, and he's telling us it's not. Here's how the fools talk. I'm more in labors abundant, in stripes above measure. Is all this true? It's all true, but he shouldn't be doing it. This is just foolish talk. How many times have you heard that, though? How many times throughout the years have you heard somebody come from the mission field and bragging about how much they've been beat up? Because they want that offering to be bigger. What other reason would you do if you joy in tribulations? If you joy in that, why are you, why are you moping about it? If you joy in serving Christ, you follow this? He said, I'm talking like fools talk. This is how they talk. They talk about all that went wrong with them. Frequently in deaths. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. I'm not sure. That'd be my question. Let's go to chapter 12 and verse, verses 9 and 10. <laughs> and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Look at verse 11. All that's still foolish talk. All of that that we just read was all foolish talk. At one point, he said, I, I'm saying this, not the Lord. Earlier in that chapter 11. He said, this is not the Lord talking. This is just me talking. So I'm going to talk like a fool. You, you listen to fools, so I'll talk to you like, like they talk. I'll go ahead and build my resume here in front of you. Talk about how much you owe me. You understand me? All of that talk that so many theologians have, have used to say that you don't have a right to be healed, they use this passage of Scripture. I wonder what they're really, what they're really like. This says they're fools. I didn't say it. This says it. And they're not talking for God because Paul said he wasn't. He said, I'm just saying this. Said, this is not the Lord talking. This is just me. And he said, I'm just showing you how fools talk. For that entire passage of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, part of chapter 10, and all the way to verse 11. And you almost hear him explode when he says this. I'm become a fool and boasted, and you are the one that caused it. You made me talk like this. You compelled me to do this. I didn't want to talk like a fool, but you listened to fools, so I had to talk like one. That's what the whole thing is about. You want to preach on it now, preacher? 
How many times did he use, did he say, and ever so often he'd stop and parenthetically say, I'm just talking like the fools talk. All right, we got to get over it anyway. Verse 8, I mean, number 8, number 8. We got 32 for the records here to talk about. The eighth one is the great mystery of the New Testament, and I'll go slow because she's putting it on the board. The great mystery of the New Testament is that Gentiles were accepted and the believing Jews tried to kill Paul for it. The great mystery of the New Testament is that Gentiles were accepted and the believing Jews tried to kill Paul for it. The great mystery of the New Testament is that Gentiles were accepted and the believing Jews tried to kill Paul for it. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21, we're going we're gonna to begin with verse 30. And I can't do the whole thing just like I couldn't do justice to that, that last piece because Sunday morning, it just takes a, takes a while. I've got a lengthy, in-depth view of that. We can do it another time. Well, in fact, I do it on Wednesday nights if you want the, if you want the expanded version. Amen. Praise God. The great mystery of the New Testament is that Gentiles were accepted and that believing Jews tried to kill Paul for that message. Acts chapter 21 and verse 30 says, Acts 21, 30. And all the city was disturbed and people ran together. This is the city of Jerusalem. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple and immediately the doors were shut. Verse 31. Now, as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. This they it's talking about were Jews. But James tells us who they were. Earlier in that same passage, James gets Paul and he says, now I need you to do this. I need you to shave your head. We'll have a sacrifice. You, you, you purify yourself with these other guys. And, you know, just stay here about a week. It was the week of Pentecost. And he said, said we want you to... This is, not the, this is not the Pentecost that we celebrate. <laughs> we celebrate the one where the Holy Ghost was poured out, you know, earlier. But this was another Pentecost. It's not all that fun, this one. Paul's getting beat to death by other Christians. Those Jews, James said, you see, Paul, how many myriads. He does not use the word thousands, although the King James Version says thousands. The word there is really the Greek word myriads, and it means tens of thousands. So you see how many tens of thousands of Jews are believers, and they're going to hear that you've come. And somebody has been telling them that you tell, you tell Jews out in Asia that they don't have to keep the law nor circumcise their children. But what we want you to do is come participate in our Jewish rituals like you are because you're a good Jew. And, and let's prove to them that you don't teach that. And so Paul did it in order to prove that he did not teach Jews that they did not need to keep the law, but he did teach Gentiles that. Everybody understand? There was a distinction and a difference between what Paul taught Jews and what Paul taught Gentiles. And who are the Gentiles? Everybody in the whole world but Jews. Gentiles come in all shape, size, and description, and color and language. Praise God. Red and yellow, black and white, and brown. Frank, praise God. We throw in the brown, those of us who've got roots in Texas. I don't know how the, how the Native Americans got mentioned. The red and the brown didn't get mentioned anyway. Red and yellow, black and white and brown. He is coming to your town. Jesus loves the little children. No, that was Santa Claus anyway. <laughs> Paul taught Gentiles that they didn't have to keep the law. But he didn't teach Jews that. And James said to him, now we're going to have to do this because all these believers are going to show up. Well, the next verse or two says they all showed up. And it starts just calling them Jews. But James already told us who all these Jews were. These are all Christian Jews. These are all believers who cannot stand Paul, who want to kill him. And it says they try to kill him, and they've been beating him. The few verses before that, they were beating him. And finally, when they saw the cops come, they left off beating him and trying to kill him. Who were these people? Believers. Let me say to you that if you get a legalistic mindset, I don't care how saved you are, you'll do things that are against the Scriptures. If you become a legalist in your mind, thinking that you've got to jump through hoops and do this and do that in order to be saved or stay saved, then you're going to, you're going to, be, you're going to become a destroyer in the body of Christ. It's not the will of God for you to act that way. It's the will of God for you to walk in the Spirit. Amen. 
to be at peace with all men, walk in the Spirit, praise God. Tell the truth, but to be at peace. See, they, when they, they just couldn't be at peace because they had all these laws they had to keep. It'll happen no matter what kind of laws you think you've you got to keep. It'll happen no matter what kind of laws. Amen. So uh, let's take our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 22, just the next chapter over. Begin with verse 6. We're going to read a little bit here. You get anything out of this? I hope I'm helping you today. The great mystery. Everybody talks about the great mystery. You want to know about the great mystery of the New Testament? The great mystery of the New Testament is not a mystery anymore. There are no mysteries in the New Testament. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and He was buried, and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Praise God. Nothing mysterious about it. And everybody, anybody, all people, red and yellow, black and white and brown, all colors and all languages and all people groups, no matter who you are or where you come from, you can come to Christ, believe on His name, believe that He died for your sins and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day. The Apostle Paul called that the gospel, not something else. That is the gospel. Now, it happened as I journeyed and came near the Apostle Paul is telling his story to these Jews who tried, just tried to kill him. Journey came near to Damascus at about noon. Suddenly a great light from heaven shone round about me. Notice this. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, who are you, who are you Lord? And he said to me, see, he didn't know who he was. But he knew he was Lord if he shined brighter than the noonday sun. Paul might have been in the dark on some things, but that day he was in the light. He understood at least whoever this is talking to me, shining brighter than the noonday sun, he's got to be Lord. And he realized at that point, maybe what he had and who he had been calling Lord wasn't the Lord at all. So who are you, Lord? This is the height of blasphemy if this is not the Lord talking. But Paul was ready to lay down everything. That's how dramatic his experience was. That is how dramatic his experience was who are you lord and he said to me i am jesus of wow i am jesus of nazareth whom you are persecuting let's read on and those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke with me verse 10 and so I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise, go into Damascus, and there would be told you the things which you appointed for you to do, verse 12, or 11. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. And verse 12 says, I think we're going to stop there. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having good testimony with all the Jews which dwelt there. He meets Ananias, and Ananias goes on and leads him to Jesus in, in the full measure. Now look at verse 17. And verse 17 of that same chapter. Now it happened when I returned, Paul says, to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. He tells his whole story, verse 18. We're just going to read a few verses here. And saw him, Jesus, saying to me, Make haste and get out of, out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. Verse 19 says, So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprison and beat those who believe on you. Verse 20. And when the blood of your uh, martyr Stephen was shed, I was also standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Verse 21. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Now I want you to notice something before we go to the next verse. He has preached all of that from the beginning of that chapter all the way down to this verse here. He said that Jesus Christ of Nazareth was Lord to these Jews. And they listened and heard it. And they listened. He over and over talked about his own persecution of the church amongst the Jews and how he and some of those probably in the crowd had helped to kill Stephen. And they're still listening. He talked about the transformation that went on in his life. And they were still listening from having met Jesus of Nazareth. There's no question who he's talking about. And no question that he's calling him God. No question that Jesus is speaking to him from heaven. To a Jew, that is utter blasphemy. But they listened to it. I had to ask myself the question, why are these guys still listening to this? Why are they not losing their minds over Paul saying those things? They didn't lose their minds over it, even though they had been trying to kill him before. Now, 
It's okay. They're listening to the whole thing. Why? There's just one answer. These were all Christians. They were all Christians. They loved people talking about Jesus. They were in it. But notice the end of his sermon ends with the word what? Everybody say it loud. What's the last word in his sermon here? Look what the next verse says, 22. Verse 22 says, And when they heard that, he spoke to them in the... No, verse 22. I'm sorry. The last word was Gentiles, and they listened to him until this word. Which word? And then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he's not fit to live. They were okay with him talking about Jesus being God. They didn't consider that blasphemy at all. What they had the hardest time with was him letting Gentiles in for free. (laughs) Religion still has a big problem with that. You all know that, don't you? (laughs) We paid a high price. We got to do all this stuff. They get it for free, really? Jesus warned them. He's going to send laborers out the first hour. He's going to send laborers out the third hour. He's going to send laborers out the sixth hour. And he's going to send us out at the 11th hour. Glory to God. And get the same pay. Do you know there's going to be somebody get saved on Rapture Day? If Rapture Day happens at noon... Somebody's going to get saved that morning. And they're going to be faithful, faithful, faithful and get the same. They're going to be faithful to what they were told to do for six hours. And there's going to be people that don't like it, probably. I just think about the thief on the cross hanging there. Y'all heard me do this before. He's hanging there. He's nailed to the cross. He's been a scoundrel most of his life, worthless piece of human flesh. He even said, hey, shut up over there. We deserve this. This man's done nothing wrong. You remember that? He says to the other, the other malefactor, they call him, we deserve this. So he knew he was guilty. He said he deserved it. Worthless. Worthless life. He looks at Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's all he gets to say. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now here's how the conversation would look today. Guy's dying on his deathbed and says, Jesus, if you'll save me, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. (laughs) And Jesus said, you got a deal. Amen. He knew this guy could never do anything for him. This is what they mean by being saved by grace. How many of you are thankful you were saved by grace? Praise God. If you're going to get in, you're going to get in by grace. God could never do anything for him. I don't serve the Lord because I'm afraid of going to hell. I serve the Lord because I can't get over him. I love him. He loves me and I love him. I don't stay married to this girl right here because she's the prettiest girl in Bryan County. That's not why I stay married to her. And I don't stay married to her because... Because I'm afraid of losing half, half of everything I have. That's, that's not why I stay married to her. I don't stay married to her because I got a, a, a certificate that says you got to stay married. I don't stay married to her because I stood in front of God and made promises that till death do us part. That's not why I stay married to her. I stay married to her because I like her a lot. I love her. I just want to be with her because I love her. God's not looking for you to stay married to him because of some legal requirement. He's not looking for you to stay married to him because, he, because you're afraid you're going to lose something. He wants you to stay married to him. He wants you to stay with him because you love him. God likes being loved just as much as he likes loving. Can I have a better amen? Amen, amen, amen. amen. I got a good little wife. She's, she's, a, she's not just a good little wife. She's a pretty good pastor. That'd be a good time to say amen right there. <laughs> don't, 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 don't do anything to make her turn on you. You won't like it. 
Anyway. <laughs> Mama, come up here just for a minute. I want you, this would be a good time for you to say what you wanted to say today. No, no, come on. Don't do that. You don't measure yourself against anybody. Go ahead. I heard a guy preach that one time. Okay. And we'll turn. Let you hold on to me if you want to. Or I'll just, just let you talk into this. Just I'll hold it. You just go ahead and talk. Okay. Well, I knew this little boy was going to be a preacher, and I'd prayed all of his life for the right girl. What happened? Well... <laughs> You fell in love with that little girl in the poked up bathing suit and cuted a bug, and I thought, God, no, no, it can't be. And she was raised to church Christ on top of it. You know how we all felt about that years ago. And believe Well, me, I know how you felt about it for sure. I did. Well, I'm going to church Christ now. There I know you are. Well, okay. Shocks me. Well, he, this, when they got married, and um, God made me to know it was Here's what my mama told me. She said, first time I saw Anna in that little polka, polka dot bathing suit, she said, oh, God, he's, he's a goner. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I still had faith you were going to preach, and I, had, I didn't understand it. Because, you see, you think you have to understand every, every way God works. You pray for certain things, it ain't happening. And I tell women now, if they have sons and they prayed for the right wife and if you send somebody along and you don't like her you better back up and ask God to make sure that you that you've got the right attitude right. because he does know best it could be the wrong one but 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 tell her <laughs> tell about her well she was so demure and, and um, um shy. shy yeah thank you and uh, that was okay and she was obedient, and she had children. She was good by them. I learned to love her, and she does call me mama. Yeah. <laughs> that was one thing I couldn't do with my mother-in-law, although she, we got to be friends. I never could call her mama. And I never had a girl. She's more like a daughter than I'd ever had. And uh, it was kind of hard at first because, you know, I knew... I didn't. I didn't. Well, she quit dressing me up that way when she got a girl finally. <laughs> but when I saw her appear, because see, I never had been in service with her doing what she did today and said all those things. I said, I just stood down there and think, my God, I never saw that in her, would you, little? I couldn't believe it. But I'll tell you one thing for sure. Because. Because everything God showed me about him before I ever had him, actually before I ever got pregnant, he, I was going to have another little boy. I had a horrible life, a rough life. My family was good, but it seemed like the devil tried to kill me all my life. In fact, I've been told probably a hundred times in my life I should write a book because it was horrible. I, it's a miracle I'm here. And um, the strangest thing about it, I had three sisters and never went through anything in my life, in their life, that happened to me. And my par parents didn't know a lot of it that went on. But anyway, I was so sad, and God told me I was going to have a child. Because when I was saved, I wouldn't tell the world. But, but my husband would let me talk to people, and that's a long story. I don't want you to think it bad. He was a good man. But he was possessive, and I wouldn't tell people. Because I was truly born again. I wanted to die. And God brought me out of that, and he told me I was going to have a little boy that's going to preach, do what I wanted to do. It, it, he would be with all in the denomination then. He, he told me that he would pastor and preach in an undenominational church. I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> and he told me that he would teach and I, yes, I've seen all this come to pass, and he wasn't—he got into music in the world because I taught him how to play guitar, and I had a little band, and they got out of into into rock and roll, and I was so hurt. And so one day I was praying when, and it was in January, the year he would have turned 20 in August, and the Lord told me that. 
I said, God, when's he going to be able to call to preach? And he said, when he's 20. So plain, it wasn't audible. He never spoke to me audible, but it was plain. And the week he turned 20, I always played the piano for the church, and I didn't go that Wednesday night, but he did. And he come in, come to my house. We didn't live too far apart. Jumped a little bit and snapped his finger and said, Mama, this is the first time I felt like I could preach. And I said, oh, what happened? He said, well, a preacher come to church. And we didn't know, and our pastor let him talk, preach, and said he was standing up there, and all of a sudden he stuck his finger right straight at me and said, Son, you have the call to preach on your life. Mm-hmm. And he come home, and he felt it. When we, he was in Christ for the nation for I know it. Just it all happened, and you see how it's turned out. Amen. It it's been to me. It truly was a miracle of God. Amen. 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 All right. I walked into my house, her, her house one day, and she was on the telephone preaching, and I mean preaching. Telling them how to escape hell and go to heaven. And it went on for 10 or 15 minutes. She said, well, my son just got here. I'm going to have to let you go. Okay, okay. All right, all right. God bless you. You think about what I said. Something like that. She hung up. And I said, Mama, who was that? She said, well, well, I don't know. It started as a wrong number. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Amen. And Mama said, when the, when the lady or the guy said, well, I don't know if you remember if it was a man or a woman, said, said oh, I'm sorry, it's the wrong number. She said, oh, no, it's not. Nobody calls me by accident. If you called me, God wanted you to call me. <laughs> Amen. Well, I wanted to, wanted to give you this one. This is so powerful. Jesus is still a man and yet still God. He was the... He was the the God-man on earth, but he's the man-God in heaven. I know that sounds strange to you, but he's still a man. He said to Paul, he said to the Apostle Paul, I am Jesus of Nazareth, shining brighter than the noonday sun from heaven. He still identifies himself as Jesus of Nazareth, and that says some really potent things to us, but we'll pick that up next week. Is that all right? I hope you got something out of this today. Praise God. I enjoy teaching you today. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads just for a minute, and I want to speak to those of you who are here this morning. If you're here today and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, I want you to understand that you can come to know Christ, and He can come to know you in a significant and powerful way. Oh, He already knows you, but He wants to know you with great intimacy. He wants to be able to pour His life into you because He loves you. If I talk to you all about your sin, I'd just be telling you something you already know about. My job is not to talk to you about stuff you already know. My job is to talk to you about things you don't know. And what you may not know is that when Christ died, he wasn't dying because of himself. He was dying for you. Every sin that mankind had ever committed, every sin that Adam had ever committed, every sin that you might potentially commit, God accredited to Jesus and held him accountable and blamed him and made him guilty for everything you had ever done. And then God doing that, transferring the sins of the whole world over onto Jesus, took sin out of the way, giving, opening the door and giving every human being a right and the opportunity to believe the moment they hear the gospel. The gospel is this. Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures, and He was buried, and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Don't ever get it. I won't ever get that confused. I don't want this church to ever be confused about what the gospel really is. It's all about what Jesus Christ did for mankind, what he did for you. He willingly gave himself so that everybody here could be saved and go to heaven. If you're here today and you say, you know, preacher, I'm just not sure. I'd really like to know the Lord. I'd really like to know what it means to be saved. I'd like to know that if I lay my head on that pillow tonight and I don't wake up here on this planet, that I will not be in a tormented hell. I will be in heaven. If that's you today, you can say, Jesus, come into my life. I turn from the world, from my sin, and I'm turning to you. I believe in you. I believe you died for me. It's just simple like that. If you're here today and you want me to pray that kind of prayer with you, I want you to raise your hand. Just raise your hand right where you are. God bless you. God bless you, son. 
God, God bless you. I want you to just, <clears throat> I want you to let everybody here. Let's pray together. Let's pray, the, pray together and then help those who've raised their hands here. Dear God in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I thank you for your, for your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died for my sins.